0: Media.
2: So listen, this year is going to be ton of wild news that is bleak newsflash, like this year is any different. But what I wanted to do this year was not just present to y'all the bleakness. I want to bring to y'all some of the most dopest people I've met over the years that are actually making the world better because it's really hard to see that sometimes in the midst of all the noise and even among the people that you know actually like really outside trying to do good there's always some sort of asterisk next to their name i know this firsthand which we can get into a little later this series is called terraform now some of y'all may know i have a coffee company to call terraform cold brew but that origin story comes from a poetry book that i wrote called terraform building a livable world and out of that book has four musical eps the last albums i've dropped have been all based around the book terraform and what terraform means terraform is the process of making a planet livable and as i looked around in the world i'm like yo you know this planet is getting less and less livable so what if we saw our own planet, our politics, our culture, our nations, our environment, our communities, our families, and ultimately ourselves as terraforming projects. So the poetry in those books are around those sort of ideas. And then out of that came the Cold Brew Company. But ultimately it's a call to action. It's a mission. Build a livable world and imagine a better future. Which is why me and Cool Zone Media got along so well. Because ultimately, this is our hope. We're not just reporting on how the world sucks. We're reporting on ways and people that are actually making it better. Terraformers. So I'm going to bring you different people that are really outside building a livable world. As always, you can go to my personal website, profitpop.com. You can get the book. You can stream the records. But right now, I want to introduce you to my man, Shamil. Mill is the CEO of an org called Search for Common Ground. Backstory with that, I was, for many years, I went from a fan to an ambassador to an artist in residence to a board member of an organization called Preemptive Love. Preemptive Love had a very similar vision to Search for Common Ground. Matter of fact, it is almost like it was, if Preemptive Love did everything right in 30 years, we would look like Search. Preemptive Love was, again, a peacemaking organization, right, who existed in conflict regions wherever there's violence. And if you're, if you're a peace-building org, that's a little different than peace first response, although that's a part of what you have to do. Sometimes you just got to stop the bleeding before you can broker peace. So we were in, and still are in, Iraq, Venezuela, the Juarez, the Mexican border, Israel, Palestine, and then was moving into Afghanistan. How you build peace varies based on what the needs are of the community. I've mentioned this org in a my my, lot of my music. I just believed in what they were trying to do, the way that they were doing it. There was some drama that happened uh, in Preemptive Love that made it to where the org had to merge. And it wasn't that they were not working with refugees. They worked a lot with refugees. Syrian refugees specifically. Problem was internal. There was a lot that happened that eventually we had to take the org and merge it under org that had a much more established infrastructure internally. And that's how we got to search for common ground. Because what they were doing while we were in five countries, they was in 30 countries. While we were um, still ran by our founder, they had gone through two CEO transitions. Was just doing a lot right. And that's how we, we partnered up. What they were able to do very well, I'm doing all this just so that we can get to the meet when we actually talk to Idris uh, or Shamel Idris. That's his last name. What we were doing well was we were telling our story well. Like people saw and knew exactly what was going on on the ground because we was telling y'all, like this is what we was doing. So as you know how NGOs work, like you got to raise money and that money being raised for us was like, well, it's real simple. If people just see what we're doing, do that. So we had a donor base of just like small donors of citizens, community, people that cared about it. Uh, We had a pretty big donor list. What we were not good at was getting the big government grants. So there were certain things that we couldn't do. What we loved about Search for Common Ground, which I'm now on the board of over there, was that they were incredible at getting the big government grants because receipts they were able to put together for the things that they've done. I mean, by God, they're in Darfur right now. My Lord, the part of the Myanmar civil war down there, like, guess guess who was at the table brokering that peace? We're going to talk about it later. It's crazy. They would get the government grants and they wouldn't put their logos on stuff because they were like, well, it's really not about us. It's about the peace. It's about the peace building. they would be 10 year programs that they put together. And they felt like, well, it's lame to like put our logo on stuff and like, shove cameras in our workers' faces because that sucks. Like, let them just do the work. Like, it's not about that. They felt like it was sensationalized and it would cheapen the work if we was putting it all on social media. To whereas at Prim Love, we was like, no, we're trying to celebrate y'all. Like, y'all doing the real work. You feel me? Like, if people want to be a part of what y'all doing. So there was a mind shift. So we had what they needed and they had what we needed. Anyway, that's, y'all hear from me all the time. Y'all need to hear from Chanel. So, peep this up. Ladies and gentlemen, please say what's up to the homie, a hero, an incredible person who don't like his name on stuff, which is part of what I like about him. Is my man Shamil? Am I saying that right, Shamil or shamil uh yeah, Shamo. Shamo. Okay. Shower. I've heard yeah. worse. You've heard worse? Yeah, I've heard a lot worse. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I thanks, t- bro. I tried to I tried to Swahili it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man, so. First of all, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy Holidays. Hope you got a good break. I did, man. We had a chance to finally kick it in person uh, this past, right before the holiday shutdown um, in New York City with uh, the rest of the board. Had a dope little meeting. I got to meet these people in person. Super crazy experience, and like I'm like everybody else where I feel like why? Why am I here? Like, I can't, what? what?
3: Yeah, after we broke up, everyone on, the, on, on our senior leadership team was like, "I love that guy because you, <laughs> you, you would you would come in and you know we'd be having these conversations about uh all, all this stuff, complex stuff, whatever. You just kind of cut right to the you had this like artist's eye, yes, the nub of something,
2: yes. <laughs> I'm like you would say in like three. Clear words, but we said like four paragraphs. So I thought that was great. Oh man, that's fun, man. That's actually kind of what we do here on this show. Is like, you know, people say a whole lot of you know, blase blah, blah wooty whoop, a whole lot of big terms <laughs> to try to say something that I'm like, hey, hey, are you are you just saying you don't want to pay for it is that what you're saying? Like that's all you're trying to say, <laughs> right? Is you don't want to pay for it. Okay, then say that, you know. Uh, but yeah, anyway, search for common ground one of to me one of the most unique ngos out there because of one their philosophical approach and two the fact that like if it's a very much if you know you know type situation you know and that's for our community to like we like stuff like that like people like the prophet lil wayne he he has a lyric where he said real g's move in silence like lasagna uh, because the g is silent that's anyway um right. so yeah so like so you know you real if you move in, in silence like nobody's there's no you know your logo's not on all this stuff you're not out here flashy i'm out here doing the work you know and that's what what we really loved about search for common ground and there's receipts the proofs in the pudding like this is what we do here's examples 30 years of thir- for 30 years or 40 years
3: 40 years now 41
2: god dog 40 years of receipts of experience of proof that like we're really out here building peace. So I'm done talking. I'm gonna uh ask you a couple questions to introduce y'all to the or so that people can see like really what they're doing out here. So, first of all, this org is not necessarily a humanitarian or uh first response thing, although that's part of what we do. Um, but you your org is a peace building organization. That's right. So that's right. Can you break down to them, like, what you really mean by that As in, in terms of it being a distinction from, like, humanitarian?
3: Sure. Well, uh, again, well, thanks, much for having me on here. And making the G not as silent anymore by getting a platform, which is, I yes. appreciate <laughs> um, So, um, yeah, you know, P, you know, there's so much going on in the world that people get kind of overwhelmed with all the causes and all the needs and whatever. And I guess the reason, prop that up, uh, search for common ground and so committed to peace is it's 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 kind of like the foundation for everything else think about it like oxygen like nobody pays attention to it or recognizes it until it's gone and then it's the only thing that matters you know uh, because the biggest priority and peace is really trying to create the conditions where you don't have the humanitarian crisis in the first place and i think one of the things that we've seen over the last 20 years people may or may not i think people feel this in their gut but but the numbers unfortunately bear it out the last 20 years, uh, conflict's been going up, humanitarian crises have been rising every single year. And the gap between the needs that are out there in the world and what we're providing to meet them has also grown every year. Mm. So it's totally unsustainable, right? You got more and more yeah. humanitarian crises, bigger and bigger gap of, of unmet crises. And it the world needs more than just more humanitarian response. We need that too. Yeah. But what we really need to do is get ahead of this and prevent more of these crises and and the things that are really driving these 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 humanitarian crises are the climate and conflict how we deal with yeah. conflict how we deal with our differences
2: mm. That's brilliant so so I love it cuz it's like with you when you think about like where the crisis come from like climate situation is is causing uh, misallocation of resources. There's not a, there's not enough food to go around because there's not enough farmable ground. So then that means that people are going to grab for what they can have. And when you start grabbing and building fences around food, you're going to create violence, right? Yeah. That's going to happen, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So if you're talking about environmental justice, if you're talking about you know food, medical services, all that has to do with the fact that peace is lost. But if you come in, I know what, what's dope about y'all is again, it's a 10 year approach. Like humanitarian usually is like, let's stop the bleeding right now. What you saying is like, well, let's make sure the bleeding never starts. That's right. (laughs) You know, and and that, and that means that there's some really hard conversations, right. And some really hard tactics that again, uh, for you guys, it's, it's, it's at least 10 years, right. When you're going to get to a place.
3: Yeah, when we think about it, we we make generation long commitments. So we, we we even go double that. It's 20 years. It's, it's a generation, which doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you don't accomplish things in yeah. one year or six months. Mm-hmm. But in terms of really shifting systems, you know, in terms of really creating peace at scale, where it's not that you're not going to have crises, you're still gonna have crises, but you those crises you're gonna be able to rally to deal with them. You're not gonna yeah. fall into violence, you know. And it's interesting that you talk about climate that way. You know, we have you know, we've got over uh, a thousand full-time peace builders on the front lines in 33 countries around the world. And in Africa, as an example, the, one of the biggest conflict dynamics across the entire continent is the, the farmer herder conflict, which sounds like mm. a small little thing. You've got farmers and you have herders. Okay. Yeah. Um, people don't realize all the way from West Africa and Nigeria, all the way through to Sudan in East, Northeast Africa, um, you, the, one of the biggest conflict dynamics is because of climate, right, yeah. um, you have people who are nomadic, the mm-hmm. herders, they've got their livestock that they're moving across, you know, and those livestock have less and less area to graze in because it's going dry. And so mm-hmm. they're encroaching more and more on the farmland. And so the farmers who aren't nomadic, they live in their spots, they've got their plot of land, yeah. are getting angry at the, at the herders. Um, and this is all exacerbated by the fact that a bunch of national boundaries were were drawn across that continent. Yeah, that made did, up. That, yeah. You know, tribal communities and all that kind of stuff on top yeah. of it. So, like, that's a climate right there. You got right there. The only way to address that is to get all of those people actually together and have mm-hmm. them figure out a solution, not impose one from the top or from outside. Yeah. And the process of bringing people together like that and building enough trust that they're willing to work together on a solution that will help everybody that's a that's actually a 20-year process.
2: Yeah, it takes a while to let some dude come in here and be like, yeah, what do you know? Yeah. You know, like, what do you really know about what we're going through? And yeah. one thing that is true about search is the fact that like, well, 90% of the staff are local, born and raised. So like, well, actually we do know because we're from here, you know? So I think that that's, a, 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 again, a very unique situation. But like in in what you're saying is, is there something that we also learned in our in our in our meeting here was the the top down, bottom up approach? Right? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that.
3: Well, you know, it, it's really popular to say all change is driven from the bottom up or all change requires good leadership. Um it's all true. <laughs> you, yeah, You can't do it. You can't do it just bottom up. You can't do it just top down. Right. You know, yeah. you need to drive change from the bottom up and from the top down. And so you talked about the teams, the search for common ground teams, the search. Really key thing about the search for common ground teams is two things. Yes, they're local. You already mentioned that one. Yeah. But really importantly, they're also drawn from the communities in conflict. Like yeah. so they actually they're not just local, but you've got access to all the major political groups, ethnic groups, you know, if you're if you're dealing with conflict between like police and young people in a city anywhere in the world, yeah, would help a lot if your team was made up of retired cops, youth activists, former gang leaders who are instead of sitting across from each other, seeing each other as the problem, yeah, are sitting side by side facing a common problem together. That sounds simple, but as as everybody knows, like that takes time.
2: It's very difficult. And so when yeah. you talk and, and then what
3: they start strategizing about is, okay, look if, if, because you unique insight. Cause then they say, look, if you use that word, nobody's going to mm-hmm. listen to you in my community, yeah. or you know what? If you can do something in that neighborhood, you're going to have credibility for years. Yeah. Or you know what, if you can get that partnership, Go for it. Or, you know what? If you partner with that guy, nobody's going to talk to you. And you only get those insights by being both local and we call it multi partial, drawn from all of the different parties, right? Um, Uh, You're not some like outside neutral person. You are the community. And so, um, so when you, and and those are the kinds of people who can talk about top down and bottom up change, they can talk about what needs to happen in the communities to drive the kind of change we need and what needs to happen at the level of politics and powerful institutions to, to make that change stick.
2: Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah, you mentioned, like, a very real situation that hits home in the sense that, like, you know, you asked, like, you're trying to broker peace in, like, L.A. Hood. You want me to sit across the table from a person who quite possibly murdered some of my family members, you know? And, of course, we don't want more murder to happen, but, like, I feel like if I were to, like, sit down and try to talk peace with this person, I'm spitting on my family member's grave, right? And he looking at me thinking the same thing. So I'm like, if you willing to talk to me, I'm now questioning your. I'm questioning your gangster because I'm like, how was you even willing to talk to me? Because I'm not. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, I don't care nothing about your truce until there's too much bloodshed. Right. Um, yes. So there's that hurdle of sort of lived experience that, again. Is so interesting for us, too, Because I'm like, at the same time, that person sitting across the table from you, man, we was in the same after school daycare. We went to the same head start. We was, you know, probably went to the same middle school, probably was on the same little league team. Like they're not strangers, you know, like I, you live two streets from me, you know? So, and our, and our moms probably went to the same church. Like there's this, this like thing about community that no matter where you put it, like you said, like nomadic tribes in Sudan, you know, or, you know, East side and West side of Los Angeles, it's like it, tribalism, is tribalism and a fight for resources is a fight for resources. The idea of dignity is still sitting across from there. And it, again, for me to be willing to talk to you, I need somebody, like you said, I need somebody super certified from my side that I'm like, oh, this is my OG. I like, I'm going to listen to you. You know what I'm saying? And they need somebody from their side that likes when we see our OGs talking, it's like maybe... I don't, I, this is weird to me, but maybe something's happening here. You know,
3: that's really, that's, that's, look, that's really powerful the way you talk about that. Cause I, I don't, yeah, one thing you just triggered for me when you said that, that one thing we would never do, we would never push or strong arm or, or manipulate, or like we would never try to get somebody to sit with somebody that they're not willing to like, that's not yeah. how peace is made. Like, that's, that's kind of the worst thing you can do. Like, gee, you should really like empathize with or understand the yeah. people who, who are trying to annihilate you, you know, in every other talk of life, right? So that's not, um, so that's a really good point. And we, that dynamic exists pretty much everywhere where we work that like real hurt and real, um, not just historical but oftentimes like present and ongoing violence and injustice. And so one of the things that we do, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we were together, like, um, one of the first things that we do in any community is instead of asking what's going wrong because everything's gone. There's so much is going wrong that it'll be, you'd get overwhelmed by it in in any community that's in conflict. We ask people like, okay, if, if this is an ethnic divide, is there anyone, is there anyone in the other ethnicity who you actually trust? Or if this, if you're dealing with a corrupt government, you know, is there one minister or even Mm. like somebody who, who you actually feel like is trying to serve the people or if it's the example that we were just talking about with police, if, if this is about a, a out of control police force, is there one captain or even just a beat cop who yeah. you feel like is? And to the police, we do the same thing. Is there anyone in the community you say the community won't work with you? They don't want to talk to you. Is there is there anyone that you see playing yeah. a positive role in the community that that you that you respect? Yeah. And one of the things that we found like hundred percent of the time problem like hundred percent of the time in every community in every, first of all people appreciate those questions yeah they like not just being talked to like they're a problem yeah. they like being asked their their own views and then hundred percent of the time um you get lots of names yeah you get lots of names like no matter how bad and unjust the situation is people are like you know what there's this one guy, or you know what? Yeah. There's one organizer. There's one community organizer that like everyone, yeah. you know. And those are the people that that we gravitate towards. We try to understand what they're trying to yeah. make happen, how we can be helpful. Uh, sometimes we share examples which they can take or leave uh, of how yeah. people in similar situations around the world have kind of dealt with some yeah. similar dynamics. That stuff. so you you build slowly that way. You don't just sort of yeah. jump in with the solution. And and to your point, you got to start with with. We call it, it's, you know, again, it's one of those clunky terms, appreciative inquiry, right? It's yes. a, it's, um, I first came across that term in like a Harvard business review article. It had nothing to do with Whoa. war and peace. It was about how you change culture in your company. Okay. And I read this article and I was like, this is actually the best description of what our teams do that wow. I'd seen, but had nothing. And so basically what appreciative inquiry says is this really re- well-researched field that it says the the worst way to change behavior in your community, in your company, in your family, in whatever the worst way to change behavior is to punish bad behavior. The wow. best way to change behavior is to identify and amplify and celebrate and incentivize every step towards the desired behavior, even if it's a tiny step, even if it's wow. a tiny step. And we, I've seen this with my own daughter. Like if you if I yelled at my daughter, you know, for not putting yeah. her shoes in the crate that I got for that specific purpose but it, it works a lot worse than if I celebrate her like crazy because she put one shoe in today she'll put, yeah she's much more likely to put two in tomorrow anyway so that's the approach you take with communities in conflict too like you don't go in and and attack people whatever you, you try to understand like even if there's one small step someone takes that's what you really amplify you really amplify the good and you feed the good and over time it builds a momentum that is powerful and relentless
4: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Man, yeah, there's that one cop that, like, whenever he, you know, see us on the corner, it's like, oh, he daps us up, or, you know, like, it's never, he's never out here, like, being crazy about it. It's like, if, you know, if we're selling bootleg DVDs, it's like, all right, homie, how many you got? I'll just buy the DVDs off you and you, you got to get out of here, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just like stuff like that to where it's like, okay, like, I, I feel you. It's like, man, I'm not finna, man, how many you need? Okay, give me this. All right, get out of here. You know what I mean? And like, those things are different. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, what you got in that backpack? Don't even tell me. Just give it back. You know, feel me? Like, all right. Okay. You know, so there's like, there's that one dude that, like, you know, I mean, whatever. Like, I mean, I don't, whatever but i guess you're alright yeah so yeah that's 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 good now let's get into some examples now like you said 33 different countries and every country like you said you said these are like 20 year 20 year at least 20 year processes right so how you actually implement these lofty ideas are can vary as wild as your imagination can go um, yeah. The the two that in my head that stick out in my head are uh Myanmar and um was it Nigeria with the soccer? Where was the soccer at?
3: Well, uh, we've done soccer tournaments in in countries all around the world. Oh, like okay. Congo was where where we based with uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. It's a okay. you know a huge kind of ninety million people center yeah. center of Africa. Uh, where yeah, the team. I, so yeah, I'm happy to uh,
2: I'm happy to tell some of those stories. They're, yeah, they're man, awesome. and yeah. The, yeah, the TV show, the like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell some stories.
3: Yeah, um, you know, in in uh, in Congo, just about you know, I think it was like 2010. Mm-hmm. There was a terrible thing that a uh, very senior UN, like the most senior United Nations official in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, she said she called the country the rape capital of the world, which was a horrible thing to say. But what she was trying to point out was that, like, sexual assault was, like, off the charts in the country. And more than half of the assaults and the rapes were committed by people in uniform. So the police or the military, you know, abusing the very people they're supposed to be protecting. Uh So you just sort of imagine how much anger and hatred and fear the community had. And our team, our Congolese team, you know, working there took what we call the common ground approach it's a three-step process first you you build trust then you turn that trust into cooperation that actually Mm -hmm. makes a difference and over time that cooperation can trigger breakthroughs right yeah so what they did to build trust in every community this is different just like you're saying like it would be different in every community so in congo teams use soccer tournaments to get the police and young and young people and people in the community actually doing things together um, it was one of the few things they would get them to do together that wouldn't have them fighting with each other or getting into an argument. Yeah. And then they turned those into community theater performances where they would like go into communities and literally in the middle of a town square, they'd like bang on drums and call people together. Everyone would come out of their homes and sit in the town square and they'd put on a, a, a performance of a play. Mm-hmm. And the play was kind of dramatizing what was going on, but with a lot of humor and stuff between yeah, yeah. the police and, and the community. And then they turned, uh, and that was one of the few things that would get the police and, and the community kind of sitting together, talking together. After those soccer tournaments, after those performances, those plays, they, they would open up conversations, right? And they start mm-hmm. these community dialogues. That turned in. So that was the initial step. Just try, yeah. get people to just figure Trust out what's going to get people to sit together, right? Yeah. And in different communities, that'll be different things. But in every community, there's some stuff you can do, cultural events, something that will get yeah. people to be sitting together. Yeah. Then the second step was to turn that into cooperation. So those conversations they started having, they started talking about what they could do together to actually improve the situation between the police and and, and, and the community members. Mm-hmm. Um, there were rallies against sexual assault uh, that pol- some of the police started participating in that were organized by the communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the more like progressive like police uh, units, mm-hmm. they agreed with the community to develop scorecards. So, like, mm-hmm. all right, let's do this let's develop a scorecard with the community yeah. of the kinds of things that the community would like to see from the police. Mm-hmm. And those scorecards will be completed regularly, like mm-hmm. every quarter, right? Where people would rank how the police were on these scorecards. And mm-hmm. the police captains would use those when they were doing reviews, promotions, yeah. that kind of stuff. So part of the feedback that they were getting was what does the community think of you, right? Yeah. And eventually they did enough of this work that there was, some, there was a couple of big breakthroughs. Uh, one of the biggest is some training that was developed out of this program. This took 12 years, Prop, but some training yeah. that was developed out of this program became mandatory in the orientation of both the military and the police. Over 200,000 yeah. soldiers and police officers, 200,000 in the country have now been through that training. We uh, produced a TV show with the police, total fic- like, it's a drama called Indekisa. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's about a guy. He used to be a rebel. You know, he goes to yeah. this U.N. program to put his guns down. Now he wants to serve his community, so he decides he's going to become a police officer. He he, he becomes a cadet, yeah. and the show picks up just as he's graduated. And uh-huh. he's all excited to serve his community, except it's very real. It's very yeah. gritty. He hasn't been paid for three months. The community that he wants, he's surrounded by corrupt cops. Yeah. And the community that he's supposed to serve hates him, or they're scared of him. Like, And so yeah. now he you know, follows this guy, through. His life. He's actually trying to good, be a good. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We suck. and 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 we use that show to open up discussions all over the country around yeah. the uh, around the program. And so, I mean, the last evaluation that we did on this, we had levels of sexual assault in the most the worst areas in the east of the country had dropped by more than fifty percent. Yeah, the it was cool. One of the um one of the things that the police said, you know, we had like both written answers and like mm-hmm. choose your. Answer. One of the most common written answers that the police put in was that people actually call us now. They were like, people call us now.
2: <laughs> we used yeah. to be the last people. That they yeah, I, I, don't call, I don't call LAPD. I'll tell you that right now. Like, that's I do right. call him. Yeah.
3: So the police were like, really? I, they were like, this is, this is amazing. People actually call us when there's a problem. So anyway, that's one story. There's mm-hmm. a, another story I could share with you. I just came back from um, visiting our team. I think I mentioned to you when I saw you in, in yeah. New York. I had just come back with a couple of the other board members from Kenya.
2: Okay. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And like, you know, one of the things that's happening all around the world is, you know, you see more and more terrorist attacks and attacks Mm -hmm. by they call them non-state armies. Right. So people like you aren't, you know. And so in Kenya, you had some really bad attacks from the Mm Al-Shabaab terror group. You know, um, they blew up the American embassy in Kenya. They came in with machine guns and shot up uh, shopping malls, uh, killed so many people in, in the country. And oftentimes what happens is that the government's response to these things in some ways, in some ways, the, the cure is as bad as the disease, right? They're yeah. so heavy-handed. They come down, they abuse the entire yeah. population. They, they're they just cracking down on everybody because they don't know what to do, right? They, yeah. they don't know how to fight these groups. So in Kenya, what they did was they, they realized that these people from al-Shabaab, from the terrorist group, they were coming in through the through from the shore they were they were pretending to be fishermen and there's some there's night fishing people go out it's a big part of the economy along the coast of kenya is people go out fishing at night they bring the catches in at dawn and they sell them at the market right yeah well when the government realized that people were posing as night fishermen so they could infiltrate the country with their weapons they just banned it they banned night fishing they shut down night fishing
2: yeah and that's not gonna they
3: destroyed the economy basically of that whole coastal area as a way to stop terrorism and I, what you can imagine what happened, right? Like people yeah. lost their jobs. They got pissed off. There was a lot of clashes between the police and the and the communities along the shore. This went on for six years, yeah. and our incredibly, there, there's a woman there named Judy Kamamo who runs all of our programs there. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenyan woman who used to work for um, Wangari Maathai, who won the Nobel Peace Prize uh, yeah. for her Kenyan environmental activism. Anyway, so Judy had this idea. She started shuttling back and forth between the police, the fishermen, the youth groups. She went to some of the human rights organizations that were saving all their money to sue the government. Uh, Mm -hmm. Others of them were using their money to organize protests. And she said, look, why don't you put some of the money for protests and lawsuits into uh, an idea um, that that I've got here, where we could try to build some trust between the, the, the police and the community and come up with a solution that would, allow us to get the fishing started again, but would actually prevent some of this terrorism. And long story short, it took about six, six and a half months of shuttling back and forth, creatively bringing, listening, lots yeah. of listening. Yeah. Listening, a listen, lot more listening than talking. And eventually Judy was able to get these groups coming together. And they came up with an idea of getting these electronic scan cards. Like, if you're going to fish off the coast of Kenya, you have to be registered anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, But there was never any way of kind of verifying it. So they got these scan cards that they say, okay, if you're a fisherman and you get registered, you get this little card. And all of the police are equipped with little scanners. And they can just scan. As long as you've got a card, you're legit. They that simple solution only came about when the group started talking to each other that Judy had brought together, the fishermen Collective, the youth groups, the police themselves, and they reopened night fishing after six years. So the whole economy was revived basically because one woman was like, this is crazy. You know, we're, we're, nobody's yeah. being served. You know, yeah, you're
2: driving us into the hands of the very people that are right. trying to. Yeah. And that's something that's actually leads me to the next thing where it's like. You know, sometimes it's I forget the name of the Harvard study, but like when the powers that be come crack down so hard, so hard that you eventually almost guarantee the birth of a new resistance or terrorist group. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, it's it's almost guaranteed. It's like you just you just prove their point by coming down. Yeah. Yeah. This is
3: like a I have been having this conversation with um, a lot of you know israelis and supporters of israel lately in terms of how the war is going on right now. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it is it is not let's say with, with the war that's going on even if your only concern mm-hmm. literally even if your only concern was israel security, even if you had no concerns, no humanitarian concerns, no concerns yeah. about human rights even if your only concern was i got to assure the security of israel. If yeah. that was all you cared about this would not be the way to get there yeah because it has never been the case that a massive military assault on a terrorist group or a violent extremist group that caused huge civilian casualties Mm -hmm. ended the threat
0: what it does is it
3: metastasizes it It either like you says it either gives birth to hamas 2.0 whatever that would look like yeah or it sort of disperses it and you get a lot more extremism you know, yeah. and violent extremism that targets people, you know, Israelis, Jews, others out, yeah. the outside of Israel, and that's a yeah. big fear that I've got right now in terms of where this is all uh, heading. Yeah. Um, no. And saying that is not, you know, intended to sort of negate in any way that the Israelis need to be secure, but it's just like it's interesting because it, there's this, uh, you know, the UN Development Program is like the biggest agency in the UN, so this is the people doing development work all around the world. Yeah. And they put out two like the biggest reports on what drives people into violent extremist groups. And they were particularly studying the, the case of all the African nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it called, it was called the pathway to extremism. And it was uh, they did a study in 2017 and then they repeated it, I think five years later, two, four, five years later in 2022. And they had the same, and this is huge research, yeah. right? Yeah. And they said, look, there are lots of different factors and lots of different places, but the number one most common experience of young people who joined violent extremist groups was being mistreated by security forces. Yeah. Like that. One. Yeah. And that goes to the, that goes to the Kenya example too. Like those yeah. people who like were being, you know, getting into street protests and being beaten up by the police because the night fishing had been closed. Like, like you said, they're much yeah. more like if I'm an Al Shabaab recruiter, yeah. that's right territory for me i can get those guys you know you see what they're doing to you these
2: people don't care about you you yeah yeah
4: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Man, so uh, I'm going to dial up the difficulty of the questions now. You know, because we've been, we've been softballing you. <laughs> so now, again, in the context of, like, Gaza and Israel, which, um, like, obviously there are certain things you can't talk about because it's still going on right now, you know what I'm saying, as far as, like, what exactly the step is and and, and the hope for when the bombing stops, like, what we're supposed to do. But I think that there are times that the there are there are moments where like the the right and wrong is pretty clear like this who's this is wrong you know and and to be still in a position of saying peace building it's like to keep people coming to the table there may be some things that you can't say out loud for the purpose of keeping them at the table at the same time the other people you're trying to keep to the table is looking at you going like, but you know this is wrong, right? And with something like, like you said, with something of like the response of the nation of Israel to this situation, it's like, well, this is tactically, pragmatically and humanitarian. Like this is wrong, you know? Now, you know, this is, Hamas is a whole other conversation. I'm talking about like, where we are right yeah. now and like you said before uh which you you told us earlier where it's like well we were no closer to a a, a two-state solution or a peace on on october 6th than we were october 7th like there's like there was we were, we wasn't making no progress before you know what i'm saying and and when you listen to the leaders of hamas they're like our biggest thing was like the world stopped talking about us like people stopped caring about our situation like y'all just like like everybody's normalizing with Israel, But ten years ago you were saying they need to f- figure out this situation now y'all not worried about it, so we was like, well, how do we get y'all to still talk about us? you know, and then in the middle of all that twenty one thousand people are dead, the hospitals have failed there's no you know what I'm saying like there's there's yeah. all this carnage that happens in the middle of that to where anyone with a heart like you say anybody with a heart could be like this this i mean this is wrong like. How do you stay at the table, or yeah? How do you stay? How do you not you, Shamil? But as an orc, how do you stay at the table? How do you stay in the peace building when in your heart there is something that's like, well, this is wrong, you know? So, and the, yeah, yeah, our,
3: yeah, go ahead. Our, our identity, you yeah, know, you were you were nice in your introduction to me of sort of saying that I'm, you know, I don't put myself out there as much or whatever, mm. but that's, that's not just an issue of being sort of humble. Like yeah. our power is our identity and our identity isn't me just cause I'm the CEO. In each place where we're working, our identity is a multi-partial team that's drawn from the community. And they're not doing what they're doing out of charity. This is life and death for them, you know, in all the places where we're working. So when you ask that really powerful question just now, imagine my Israeli and Palestinian colleagues sitting here, right? And the Mm -hmm. question is, how the hell are you all willing to do anything together? right in the midst of what's going on shouldn't you be calling it out and and uh you know our this these are the hardest times the the power of work not surprisingly is kind of the most invisible when you're in the midst of massive horrible unacceptable violence yeah um and people get really i mean look i don't think that um let me start from this place. There are two ways to drive change, okay. um, I think. There are probably a million ways to drive change, but there are two ways to drive yeah. change what I, want to, what I want to share. There's an adversarial approach which basically says I'm going to find everyone who agrees with me mm-hmm. and I'm going to identify everyone who disagrees with me on this mm-hmm. issue. And I'm going to organize myself with the first group against the latter group. We're going to go to mm-hmm. war, literally or figuratively. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and that's an adversarial approach. And it's a win-lose approach, yeah. right? And it's, it can be effective in a lot of places. Uh, the other approach to driving change is, I'm gonna take an issue I really care about and I'm gonna find out everybody who has a stake in how that issue plays out. Everybody, yeah. including the people who most disagree with me. Yeah. And then I'm gonna figure out how to build trust between them so that we can come up with a solution where everyone's dignity is respected. Yeah. Now, it might sound like I'm avoiding your question, But I'm jumping to the end state, which is Israelis and Palestinians aren't going anywhere. Yeah, They're not going anywhere. This is where they're going to be. And so I would not push anyone. And right now, it's kind of the hardest time to get Israelis and Palestinians to do anything together. We wouldn't push them to do this together. But we are staying in very close touch with our teams and then with our partners to provide whatever we can to sustain them and to make sure their dignity is, is intact and that their voices are being heard. And as soon as the openings are there for us to start building, we're going to start helping them to build. But that twenty-year clock we talked about is going to start again. Yeah, when the guns fall silent. Yeah, that's what violence does. Yeah. It, like you can have decades. You can have decades of development that are wiped out in weeks of violent conflict. Yeah, that's the that's why we when we started we talked about peace being the foundation, being like oxygen. Yeah. Everything else. Yeah, everything else that depends on it. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if I answered your question, but it's it's, you know, it we does. could we could spend a lot of time with me issuing statements about Israel and and, yeah. and Gaza right now. But frankly, my. It's not that they're irrelevant. People need to know that you actually really care. You give a damn about their yeah. dignity and their humanity. Yeah. And that's really important. And if there's going to be a time where we can create a future where both Israelis and Palestinians can live in real dignity and security. That's going to have to be created by them collaboratively. And we are, unfortunately, decades away from that happening now.
2: Nah, thank you. That's great because it does sort of get you out of the polarization loop because there is something that's like, in some senses, it's like, well, we're at the table. We're here because, well, the violence is wrong. that's what we're here about. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody wants their babies to die. Like, this, I mean, that's... Nobody wants their babies to die. So, like you said, I can issue statements, I can rally around the team, or I can say what you said, which I think is beautiful. It's like, who's invested in this? Who's really invested in this? And let's build trust around this and have a conversation around providing dignity for the people invested in here. And, like you said, once the shooting stops... Then the other things happen. So, like you know, without without being um too trivial, there's a man out here named Big U, former Rolling Sixty Crip, uh, notorious, notorious, no, no, notorious. Anyway, he he started a uh a uh football team league for like Pop Warner, just you know, uh, Crenshaw Cougars. You know what I'm saying? To where it's like I'm I am. You all know what set I'm from. I have sworn enemies. Don't get me wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're I am a crip. Like, that. I don't know what else you want me to say. I'm a crip. You know what I'm saying? But our children should be able to play outside. And it just, it is what it is. Our children should be able to play outside. You know, and over the years, like, when I did finally, I get a chance to meet him. It was in passing because since I didn't live on that side of town, I wasn't really a part of a lot of stuff they did. I lived in the Latino community. But I was... A part of intervention programs that were inspired by him, you know, and was able to say, "Hey, man, like I lived, I lived with the Latinos, but they was inspired can I ask by you, this." Yeah.
3: So, can I ask you a question about that? So, like before yeah. he did that, would you have ever guessed that he would do that? did did Never. Would anyone? Never in yeah. a million years. I feel like this is what this is the thing about. Let's take this to Israel Palestine again, if we want to stay on that hard topic. Like, yeah, I there's a lot of things I don't know. Uh, And people who predict the future of this conflict, you know, whatever, more power to them. But there's one thing I know, which is that when peace comes here, it's going to be negotiated by people you never would have expected, agreeing to things that you never would believe they would have agreed to. And we saw that between the British government and the IRA. People forget the IRA was bombing hotels. They were yeah. bombing, they set off, you know. Yeah. Um, saw that between the FARC rebel movement and the Colombian government after 50 yeah. years of civil war. We said, like, you go out down the list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even in, in even in this conflict, right, You between, mm-hmm. you know, when Rabin and Arafat signed the Oslo Accords, like,
2: mm-hmm.
3: everything that's being said about Hamas right now was said about the PLO.
2: About the PLO, PLO, yeah. Decade.
3: Listeners, and, we have
2: an episode coming up about that backstory of the PLO and the Oslos, but I'm gonna do that history. But yeah, go on.
3: Yeah. So and 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 you know, the Palestinian Authority, which is in the West Bank, is the descendants of the PLO. Mm-hmm. That's what the PLO turned into. Yeah. When they signed a peace agreement and they yeah. said we're laying down our weapons. Now we're gonna administer the West Bank, right? Mm-hmm. And you take that model. And no one's saying that they're, they've turned violent. They haven't. Even yeah. through all of what's been going on, you know, yeah. you think that model and you compare it to a model of a military uh, attack mm-hmm. when the military, when the Israeli military went into Lebanon to get the PLO out of Beirut, which is where yeah. they were headquartered for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, that massive military invasion led to the rise in Hezbollah, yeah. which now is uh, seen as a bigger threat than anyone else, yeah. right? Like, it's like what you said earlier, Like the, if I'm not saying that military action is, you know, you never, people never use military action, yeah. like, I don't know, but but I will say that when you're dealing with an extremist group, a group that's using violent means to pursue mm-hmm. political ends, mm-hmm. right, and they're embedded in a community, any community, yeah. if you're going to use military tactics that kill a lot of civilians in that community,
2: it's inevitable that you're going to yeah, create more of what you're, you seek to destroy. yeah. Man, even today, the uh, there was a leader of Hamas that got popped in Lebanon today. Um, so we'll see what comes out. We'll see what comes out from it. Uh, but yeah, I think okay. So lastly, we've been dancing around it, or not dancing around it. We've actually been defining it this whole time. But it's this last term that has really stuck out for me, which is multipartial. And mm. multipartial is not neutral. Right. It's not this, you know, disinterested. I think a lot of times people say, well, like I want I'm neutral in this situation. And it's like, well, that's doesn't that don't capture it. Like neutral don't help. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, um, I, I'm with yeah. you.
3: I, I there are. I love, you know, this is this is our core identity. Yes. Um, and it's and it's, you know, people hear the term impartial or neutral and they think, yeah. oh, you're like a third party arbitrator. Like you come in from the outside and you hear the different groups yeah. and you whatever." uh or media that's not who we are. Like they're, they're, there, there I'll there's six things about being multipartial that I think are uniquely powerful. Yeah. Uh first, there's real humanity in it. We were just talking about it with Israel-Palestine. You could talk about it in LA with communities you yeah. were just talking about. Like there's a real humanity when the team is not only local but represents the divided communities. That means yeah. that when they're 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 not they're not detached about what's going on, they're directly feeling it. Their families are, future is at stake it's a life yeah. and death thing for them. So there's a humanity to it. Second, there's a credibility to it. You've got unique access yeah. um, and convening power. When if your team again includes like former youth activists and leaders, former gang members, uh, yeah. retired cops or whatever, and you're trying to deal with police community violence, there's going to be unique credibility to that team if they could ever create themselves as a real team team. third there's there's wisdom and this is where what you were talking about before like this this relationship between justice and peace i think is really misunderstood Mm -hmm. really misunderstood i think the notion that peace is just you know when martin luther king said that peace is not just the absence of tension but the presence of justice like i don't think that i think when you have people who represent the different communities themselves They understand that you can't get justice without peace, and you can't get peace without justice, right? And it can be hard to say this because it seems like you're letting oppressors off the hook. But unjust systems—I was always inspired by by Mandela and King and Tutu and James Baldwin, even the other like who understood or Gandhi. They understood that unjust systems trap everyone. Yes. Which is not the same thing as saying they oppress everyone equally. That would be really obscene, but like mm-hmm. they, we know that's not the case, Yeah. but they limit everybody. And the, yeah. and the, the, what they, what all of those activists created was a future that uplifted everyone's dignity and humanity. Yeah. It didn't just flip the power tables. Yes. It didn't just, say, okay, you oppress this the group. Now the other group's going to be in charge. Yeah. So there's wisdom. There's wisdom. That's the third thing. There's humanity, credibility, wisdom. The fourth thing is pragmatism. Like, you know, there are all these international advocates, people issuing statements on Israel-Palestine, you just put your finger on it. We're always going to defer to what our Israeli and Palestinian team jointly is willing to say and do. Yeah. And I'm not going to override that by saying, but wait, our organization has to say this, whether or not yeah. you think it's No. We either say things because they think we should say them, or we keep our mouths shut because they say, keep your mouth shut. We're working yes. on something. Right? Yes. Um, and so there's pragmatism in that. Fifth, there's authenticity. And I love this. I, You can't create a more inclusive world with more like exclusivist advocacy. You can't create a cooperative world through adversarial advocacy. Like you really align your means and your ends. Yeah. Right. Like you, you, you Gandhi's whole thing about be the change you want to see in the world. There's real authenticity in that. Cause you're not saying, Hey, we're going to get to this peaceful place, but the way we're going to get there is really adversarial and nasty. Yeah. 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 No, that doesn't work. It, it doesn't. Yeah. It, and the fit. the sixth thing is there's a real bias towards action. Uh-huh. Like, when you're multi-partial, when your team is local and from the communities, they don't have a lot of patience for just having talk shops. They're like, look, I'm, dialogue is necessary, mm-hmm. but it's totally insufficient. You have yeah. got di- You need dialogue to understand where people are coming from. But if that doesn't translate into action that's meaningful to people, yeah. that actually meets communities' needs and demands, um, people are going to get really negative yeah. about dialogue. You see this in the Middle East about peace process. It's like a dirty word. Because yeah. people feel like, you know what? We've been there. We've done we've that. Done that. Yeah, we've done that. Um, yeah. So anyway those all of those things are you, you all of those are like to me those are like the power power yeah. themes of multipartiality of humanity credibility wisdom pragmatism authenticity and this like bias towards action are yeah. yeah beautiful is peace possible it's inevitable but not without a hell of a lot of work right I will tell you one thing when I was, um, you know, sister Helen Prejean, she she wrote a book. Okay. So like the author of dead men walking and the, Mm -hmm. the the Catholic nun who's she's now, she's now accompanied six men to their death in the, um, uh, leading anti-death penalty activists Mm -hmm. in the country, probably. And I had the honor to meet her recently. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, somebody said, this is also hopeless. Like, what can we do? And I can never channel her. I should just play. You should, I should send you the audio of what she said. Okay. Okay. But she just said, she said, just do one thing. She said, when you, when you, because when you're standing on the sidelines, and you're just watching how horrible everything is. You, you just go into despair and cynicism. But when you do just one thing, no matter how small it is, even if it's a, even if it's like just very little, it only makes a little change in your own little community with one person. You're actually releasing an energy into the community that gathers momentum, right? And 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 you generate hope in yourself and in others when you do that one thing. And you can never understand like how far that hope is actually going to go. Um, so yeah, peace is possible as long as we work for it. You don't just. And I think she said to the one of the first men, the one of the first men who she accompanied to the um, death chamber, they had an argument, a big argument. When she was trying to convince him or encourage him to acknowledge what he had done to seek forgiveness, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, all you do is pray." And she said, "No, no, no. I pray and I work. Good. I pray Good. and I work. So anyway, peace is possible, but only if we work, if we
2: pray, and we work. Hallelujah, dog. Okay, you are <laughs> preaching. We'll <laughs> be preaching, y'all. Man, hey, thank you so much for your time dude i know you're super busy it's like there's so much happening on the planet right my lord like i know we're involved in sudan right now like i know there's just so much happening right now thank you for taking your time to to holler at us and um and present this to us
3: thanks so much for having me Bob, and thanks for being such a supporter of search for common ground it's great to have you on board honestly Uh,
2: of course guys please go to the website uh sfcg.org uh, we'll take donations, you know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Please tap in with us, man. Like again, it's people out here. Like I know how bleak the world is, but it's people out here actually on the ground doing the good work. Thanks, so thanks, much. man. Peace be to you. Peace be to you. All right, now, don't you hit stop on this pod. You better listen to these credits. I need you to finish this thing so I can get the download numbers, okay? So don't stop it yet. But listen, this was recorded in East Los Boyle Heights by your boy Propaganda. Tap in with me at prophiphop.com. If you're into cold brew coffee, we got Terraform Cold Brew. You can go there.com <laughs> and uh, use promo code HOOD, get 20% off, get yourself some coffee. This was mixed, edited, and mastered by your boy Matt Ausowski killing the beast softly. Check out his website, mattosowski.com. I'm going to spell it for you because I know. M-A-T-T-O-S-O-W-S-K-I.com, mattosowski.com. He got more music and stuff like that on there, so go and check out The Heat. Hood uh, Politics is a member of Cool Zone Media, executive produced by Sophie Lichterman part of the iHeartMedia podcast network. Your theme music and scoring is also by the one and only Matt Ossowski, still killing the beat softly. So listen, don't let nobody lie to you. If you understand urban living, you understand politics. These people is not smarter than you. We'll see y'all next week.